Welcome everybody to another edition of the Thoughts of RS Podcast. I almost don't know how to do this anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time and uh, been meaning, you don't know how many times I've meant to sit down and start to work on this again and it's a project that I miss doing it but I I felt like there was something missing. So I decided to just try to go back to the old format and see what comes out of it. Uh, Ramon Malpica has been gracious enough to give me uh, site space for my various thoughts. So uh, I appreciate that. It's been a it's been a while since I've done this, and I, I've missed, like I said, I've missed doing it. But at the same time, I've it's I've missed on one hand, I've missed doing it. On the other hand, I felt a little stilted, not really knowing what to say, even though I had things to say. So uh, let's let's be pretty easy here. Let's stick to the sports world today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about. We're going to be in the boxing world where we'll talk a little bit about uh, Gennady Golovkin and the problems he faces for a, a potential May 5th fight, what I think they should do, and we'll see how, and compare that to what will probably wind up happening, which was probably not what I would do. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the number one thing in Cleveland sports, believe it or not, despite the Cavaliers being... In the playoffs, the number one thing in Cleveland sports is uh, draft talk. Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold. Reading a lot of talk that they're leaning one way, and you read so many different things, but currently the tide seems to be shifting towards Josh Allen. So I have a few thoughts on that. And then we'll wrap up with a little baseball talk where I'll see where... uh, why Rob Manfred is just such an awful disaster as a commissioner. uh, I'll talk more about, I'll talk a little about this because I actually got to see it in person for the first time uh, on the road this past weekend. And it is, uh, you know what, let's start with Rob Manfred. Let's just start with what what a disaster this guy is. Uh, Does this guy even like baseball at all? This would be the equivalent. It, it, he's making all these changes to speed up a game. It, it kind of makes you feel like he doesn't even like baseball. This ex- crazy experiment of his where in minor league games, uh, in extra innings, the runner automatically, they automatically put a runner on second to start the game or to start the extra innings for each team. So what happens is, what I'm not sure that anybody bothered to think about this. We were in we were in West Virginia, and we we were watching. Yeah, the game goes into extra innings without the game goes into extra innings. And, and I hadn't even thought about this, so I, I it, it's just natural once you hear it, it, it makes, it's, it's ridiculous. But what happens is they start the runner on second base, 
And naturally, what both teams did, and the first batter bunts the runner to third. Now, that's not necessarily... It's good managing. Uh, people like National League Baseball usually sit around and talk about things like that, like myself, strategy and all that. But it doesn't take a genius to see that any average manager is going to use that first batter, bunt the runner over, hope for a sack fly. Now, if your object is is to end the game, maybe that works. But the, but these the added excitement in quotation marks. Ugh. The argument by so many American League fans against uh, the pitcher hitting is nobody pays to watch a pitcher hit and sacrifice bunt. But what is the first thing that we're going to decide these games? I, I would be amazed if this rule change ever makes it to the major leagues. If they do, they'll change it. Because I, I don't see what the point is. If the point is to start somebody on second with nobody out, and everybody bunts the runner over, why don't we just start the runner on third with one out? That would really speed things along, Rob. I mean, if it's all about speeding up the game and making it more exciting, if every manager is going to going to bunt the runner on second to third, why don't we just say, let's start him on third with one out? That's stupid as hell, too, but, you know, at least it goes along with the idea of speeding the game along. I think that's a ridiculous idea, but it's better than what the hell they're doing. I, I don't necessarily hate all of Rob's ideas. I, I, I don't really have a problem with the limitation on mound visits. I'm okay with that. I, I think the, that's a something that needs to be worked out over time. You know what? What's the right number? But I'm okay with that. And I was okay with the uh, the object of no pitch intentional walks. Just saying, walk them over. Um, they've done that in youth baseball for Lord knows how long, or at least over the last ten years or so. They they put that in just at the end of my coaching days, and we're to the point now that you're going to have a whole generation of players that aren't going to know what the hell to do anyway, so why not just go ahead and go away with it? I, I'm fine with that, too. But the crazy stuff, I, you know, expanding the strike zone, this, now he's blathering about uh, teams carry too many pitchers, so you have to pitch to so many batters if you're in a game, and limiting the amount of pitchers you can carry for a game. Now, I'm the first... I, I've made the comment that I think there's too much situational pitching, especially in the American League, that it does slow the game down. But it's part of the game. Baseball's the game that you can go and you can watch and you can relax. It's the game of conversation. Baseball's the one game that you can take your spouse or your your uh, uh, boyfriend slash girlfriend or your kids or your buddies, and you can watch the game, you can enjoy the game, and you can carry on a conversation as you do it about whatever is in your life, whether it's the game or whether it's you know your kids or your life or whatever. 
That's what baseball is. And as much as I love football and basketball and hockey, you, know, you don't have that in those games. And, and that's part of what baseball has all to itself. And now we have this guy who is going to literally, with his ridiculous ideas, turn everything upside down. And we haven't even got to the really dumb stuff that have been kind of like floated out like a smoke signal, which whether they're legitimately considering it or just testing the waters, this craziness of uh, if we... Go if if the home the losing team going into the ninth inning gets to send up the three batters of their choice that are already in the lineup. Or this nuttiness of completely eliminating the American League and the National League and making it just like the other sports, having an east west game, having an east west conference set up. Which you know has that not only is the one thing baseball has that the other sports don't is that people care about the National League and the American League. Nobody sits around saying I'm an Eastern Conference NBA guy. It, it, it's you're at a spot that you could blow all of that up to go to what the other sports is, the other sports is good language the other sports wish they had. And blow it. And how would they blow it? Well, it's just common sense. The American National League have teams all over the country. So, what you're basically saying is, you're either going to, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to go all DH or no DH. And I think we all can see where that battle is going to go. It's just, I mean, a few of these things are not bad. I'm not against speeding the game up a little bit. But baseball's the only major game without a clock. If you go to a baseball game, you don't... I'm not saying these four-hour, nine-inning games... I, I completely understand that. Completely understand that. And I'm not even saying there's some tweaking that can't be done. But some of these crazy, goofy ideas... I, I tweeted earlier today, you would almost think this is an inside job to rehabilitate Bud Selig. Where, uh, for interleague play... And Bud Selig looks like... Kennesaw Mountain Landis compared to this stuff of Rob Manfred. I mean, I hate interleague play probably more than the next guy. But interleague play looks absolutely fabulous compared to some of these ideas. And don't get me started on the involvement on some of this dumb stuff where uh, no matter what, no matter how you stand on the whole Chief Wahoo thing in Cleveland. You know, Rob Manfred pushing for the rumors that you hear. And I'm not saying these are true, but I've, I've, I've read things from people close to the situation in Cleveland. Where if they didn't come to an agreement on this, and they used the All-Star game as a way to push Chief Wahoo out, but stuff like they would literally, they were considering having people 
working for Major League Baseball. And if you wore Chief Wahoo stuff into the stadium, they would confiscate. I mean, that, that's just nuts. I mean, where the hell did we get this guy? Uh, I'll tell you where we got him. We got another bean counter in the front office that went to college and, and, and mastered in something. They really don't love the game. Let's, let's get real here. That's a lot of the problem with the four commissioners. Now, I'm not really sure about Adam Silver in the NBA, but Gary Bettman it runs the NHL. If you tomorrow ask Gary Bettman, would you leave the NHL for the NBA, he'd be gone so fast you wouldn't know what hit you. And Roger Goodell, he's just a power-crazy guy that would be just as willing to run General Motors as run the National Football League. We have people running the games that don't love the games. Tell me, Rob. Tell me, Rob Manfred likes baseball when you have a line of things that he would like to do to change it. None of them part of the game we care about. When when I was sitting in Charleston, West Virginia, watching this game that went to extra innings and watching that runner run out to second base, you could just hear everybody in the. You can hear the crowd just turning themselves going, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I didn't even think about, I was groaning about it in the offseason, but I didn't even think about the whole bunting thing. That didn't cross my mind until I watched the visiting team. Well, it's good managing. Makes sense. Trying to win the game. Not exciting. Thought it was all about building excitement, Rob. I, I I just fear for the future of the game. Not that baseball is going to go anywhere, but I just you know if, if you let stuff like this go, you you could wind up in a spot where thirty years from now it's like arena baseball. You know when, when the difference between watching the NFL and a good college game, and yeah they score some points, but it's not outrageous. And then you watch these arena games and everything is 83 to 71. Is every game in baseball going to suddenly become 12 to 9? And we're not that we're not that situation right now. But we could be. If you continue to come up with these ridiculous ideas and expect them to be if if even some of this stuff is implemented will limit the amount of roster spots allocated to pitchers. What the hell are you doing that for? That's up to a team to determine how they want to set up their 25 men. And how on earth... Look, I'll be the first... Here's another one. I'll admit, I don't like defensive shifts. I I, I don't like it when a left-handed power hitter has to deal with a guy playing short right field. It reminds me of slow-pitch softball. But it's legal. It's part of the rules. Either the guy pounds the ball past it, or he learns to go to the other field, other side of the field, and take and make them pay for not for make them pay for using that strategy. I 
don't like defensive shifts, but it, it's a tool in a manager's mailbox. Mailbox, just a toolbox. And, and I, I just... The guy really ticks me off, because he seems such a smug, arrogant guy that is telling baseball fans that what you have watched for years and years and years isn't good enough. It's kind of like when you get on, when you watch a commercial on television and they say, new improved Tide cleans things better. Are you saying that the, so what you're saying is, is your old product stunk? Because that's what you seem to be saying about baseball. The, the sport that you fell in love with is terrible and we're going to fix it for you. And what you're going to wind up doing is this. If, if somebody doesn't like baseball, these rule changes are not going to re- suddenly make them a baseball fan. They are not going to bring in new fans to this sport because all of a sudden we're going to play a game in uh, 225 instead of 240. They're not. That's it, It's a fallacy to think that way. But... What you will do is, is you're eventually going to lose a whole bunch of the fans that love your game now. Maybe not, maybe not right away, but little by little, you wake up one day and you don't care as much. It happened to me with college basketball. Uh, my Sherry will tell you, my wife, if you're uh, not a longtime listener, will tell you there was very few things that I was more passionate about in life than college basketball. I loved it. I watched every I watched every night ESPN would have games. I would watch a seven o'clock game, I'd watch a nine o'clock game. I, I don't know how many nights I stayed up late to watch with with Ryan watching UNLV and Fresno State and, and all these games from the West Coast. I loved it. I was just in love with it. But slowly but surely things start happen to erode that love. Conference shakeups. Conference shakeups has led to the loss of rivalries and the creation of some artificial rivalries. And the one and done. And the, the fact that the NCAA is so bogus and corrupt. And one day I woke up and realized I really didn't watch that much college basketball anymore. There's t- there's teams I still follow, and there's a couple teams that I still watch, and I watch the tournament. But pretty much the tournament, I, I watch the first couple rounds, maybe the Sweet Sixteen. Once we once we generally get to the Final Four, and it's the same people every year, you get tired of watching it. And as a result, over a time period of about ten to twelve years, I went from being the biggest, most passionate college basketball person I know to somebody that is a casual follower of the game. And I think the same thing could happen to baseball if you keep screwing around with it with radical, ridiculous change. And of course the minor league is the testing ground for this crap, which is the stuff that I get to go to watch. So I get to see it in person Yeah, they've had the pitch clock in for a couple years, and the minors. I don't have a problem with the pitch clock. 
It, that one's not so bad. But I don't see where it's a radical change. You really want to save time? Maybe why don't you have your commercial breaks a little more normal. Where every commercial in between innings is four minutes and five minutes instead of two minutes. Maybe we could change that a little bit. Now, we're not going to do that because it's all about money. Pro sports teams are real fond of saying, it's a business. It was, I think it was Pete Gent, the old Dallas Cowboy. I, I, if I'm wrong on who said this, I apologize. Yeah, when they say it's a business, when you say it's a sport, they say it's a business. And when you say it's a business, they say it's a sport. And Rob Manfred is slowly but surely coming up with some ideas that are going to, in my opinion, erode his fan base. And that's that's how I feel about it. Feel free to uh, let me know about that if you're listening to this on Thoughts of RS or um, at on Twitter or at the uh, blog at thoughtsofrs.blogspot.com. I just was uh, reading here, just as I am doing the podcast, uh, my man uh, Jake Forster from Australia liked my tweet when I was telling him how I was planning to do one tonight. Um, so, so Jake, I'm sorry if I bored you if you don't care about baseball. Let's move on to boxing, where we talk about Gennady Golovkin's situation, which is not of his own doing, but he's still got to solve a problem. Um, he was scheduled to fight Canelo Alvarez on uh, May 5th, uh, Cinco de Mayo weekend, which I would have never known what Cinco de Mayo was if I was not a boxing fan. <laughs> Before, uh, I, uh, years ago, when they start, when it became such a pivotal part of the boxing calendar, I wouldn't know what Cinco de Mayo was. So now I'm like this expert on uh, Mexican slash Latino holidays because I'm a boxing fan. But um, we don't know whether the length of Canelo Alvarez's suspension. And Steve Kim on his podcast said that it's not a slam dunk that it's going to be six months. It could be a year. If I'm Gennady Golovkin's people, and I know the easy way out is I've heard people say, ah, you know, let's just, you, if, if it's six months for Canelo, just don't fight until September. It'll be even, both guys will have been off for a year. Well, that's not what got Golovkin where he's at. And he he needs to fight. And, I, and I'm in the camp that says that his performances, which went from like A plus to maybe A minus, has been because he's not active enough. He's a guy that has always thrived on activity. And suddenly, each of the last two years, he's only fought twice. He needs to get in the ring. And they're having trouble getting getting an opponent for him for Cinco de Mayo weekend. I understand the theory of saying, you can't get off Cinco de Mayo weekend. It's a big deal. It would be sacrificing... I disagree at this point. I mean, when you get guys... When you have journeyman fringe contenders like Spike O'Sullivan say they can't be ready to go in a little over, a little under a month. Maybe you should just sacrifice this and ship this in and schedule and make and, and fight in June. And I don't care what Oscar De La Hoya says. I don't care what Canelo Alvarez says. He needs to fight. He needs to be in the ring. Now, it comes with risk of getting of injury or cuts or whatever that could potentially threaten an Alvarez fight if Canelo can fight in six months, which would be September. But 
he needs to be active. He needs to get in the ring, which gets me to my next spot. The one guy that seems like he wants this spot, and Golovkin's people, and I love Golovkin. Everybody that, I've been a Triple G fan from the first time I saw him. Huge fan, completely in his corner. But man, he really needs to fight Sergei Derevchenko. His goal for all this time has been, I won all four belts. He's the IBF champion. Derevchenko is the number one contender. It's a chance to get rid of a mandatory. Now, I, I don't think, and, and that's not an easy fight. Derevchenko is going to come forward. He's a tough guy. He's a rugged guy. He punches pretty good. I don't think he's Golovkin. I don't think he beats Golovkin. But it could be he's going to give Golovkin all he wants for as long as he lasts. And he comes forward. He's going to make Golovkin look great. Everybody's going to say, Triple G is back after two distance-going performances against Daniel Jacobs and Canelo Alvarez. To me, it satisfies a mandatory. And and I don't think Golovkin wants to lose the IBF title. If Golovkin loses the IBF title, it, it takes a huge shine off of a potential Billy Joe Saunders fight. The whole gimmick behind Golovkin Saunders is getting that last belt that he doesn't have. Well, if he has to sacrifice the IBF belt, then a lot of the shines off a of Billy Joe Saunders fight. And I just think it, it would just it works for everybody. And Lou DiBella is Derevchenko's manager, advisor. Every time it's so funny in boxing. I always want when you say manager, promoter, advisor, because everybody uses different words. I think this just works for everybody. If Derevchenko can be ready in three weeks and he's willing to do it, let's get it on. If it needs to jump back to June for Derevchenko, that's fine. If you can get Billy Joe Saunders in June, that would be okay too. And because the IBF has said unification would trump mandatory, so if he would fight Saunders, they'd be fine with that. So to me, the ideal thing for style. Now the only, like I said, it does come with some risk. Derevchenko comes forward, he could you know bust Golovkin up possibly. But to me, it just makes a lot of sense. You keep your belt. You get rid of a mandatory, and you're going to look good. He's going to make you look good. It's going to be a good fight. A good fight that you that Golovkin will win, and he will look exciting doing it. So let's, let's do it. Gennady Golovkin, Sergei Derevchenko, preferably on May 5th, a little later if necessary. Let's, let's do the right thing here. Because when I hear people say, you don't want to fight against a kid. Look, if Golovkin doesn't fight this guy, and he waits to fight Canelo in September, that means the likelihood, assuming he wins, you would have to think the earliest he would be back would be January or February of 2019. So then, by then, Derevchenko has been the number one contender for 18 months. The IBF is not going to stand for that. Especially if, say, Golovkin wins and says, okay, now I want Saunders next. Then it's always two years that he's waited. It, it's just, it's not a tenable situation if he wants to be, if he wants to hold all four belts. So just do the right thing. Let's get this fight going. Now to the to the part in, in that everybody loves to talk about following Cleveland sports is 
uh, Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold. It seems like the the rumors that everybody's reading is the Browns are leaning Josh Allen, which everybody has questions about. Well, I shouldn't say everybody because many people have questions about his accuracy. Can you can you teach accuracy in the pros? He has all the tools, but not a ton of the production. He hasn't played against the top competition. I, I kind of overlooked the top competition. There's been plenty of decent quarterbacks that come out of the Mountain West or the group of five schools. I, I, I put that off to the side. I, and I, but I do wonder about his production against those schools. That That's the key. I don't worry about the, the opponents he faced. I worry what he did against those opponents. And you would think that a number one pick of the draft would have dominated a lot more than he did. Now, I watched some Wyoming games last year, in particular, to watch Josh Allen. And his receivers were... He had lost some receivers to the NFL draft. He And they didn't help him out a lot. But I saw a lot of things that I wonder about. I, I'm not knocking Josh Allen. If the Browns pick Josh Allen, I understand why. They are swinging for the fences, thinking the guy with all the tools that's been compared to... John Elway, but needs some time to ripen on the vine. I understand if they take him, but I don't believe they can afford to do that. I think Sam Darnold is the safer pick. I think he's the better pick. He's a younger player. He ha- he doesn't ha- quite have the arm that Allen does, but he's got a strong arm. There's no questions about his arm. There's no questions about his makeup. Not, not that there is about Allen. There's, to me, there's no question. Sam Darnold is the safest quarterback in his draft, and he's got upside. This is not taking a quarterback that is as good as he's going to get. He's going to improve. He's going to get better. As you would hope Josh Allen would get better. But Sam Darnold has shown that... that I, I was talking recently, and, and this is how I look at it. To me, Sam Darnold's floor, the worst you're going to get from Sam Darnold is a Phillip Rivers type, which is a guy that you say, hey, he's going to be our quarterback for the next 10 to 12 years. He's going to be one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the game, probably not top top five, but probably the top 10, top 12. And if you surround him with talent, he can win a lot of games for you. I mean, look at Phillip Rivers. I mean, San Diego, what San Diego had talent around him. You know, the Chargers went to playoffs every year. Went to the AFC title game one year. They are... That, to me, is Sam Darnold's floor. Sam Darnold's ceiling might be somebody like Brett Favre. A top three or four quarterback in the game can put put a team on his back can perform, of course, better with lots of talent around him, but can make talent, can lift talent, lift mediocre talent up. That's his ceiling. Now you look at Josh Allen. You say, okay, there's a 20% chance that John Josh Allen becomes John Elway. And if that's the case, Cleveland's got a winner. I was never a John Elway fan, but boy, I respected him. And I tell people all the time, if... if if you tell me I've got to win one game, I probably lean towards John Elway. 
I watched so many Denver Bronco games that he just didn't have the talent around him, and he lifted those team up. There's a 20% chance that he's John Elway. And there's probably a 30% chance that he's a... I'm trying to think of a quarterback that not necessarily compares to him physically, but let's say... um, Jay Cutler. I, I, physically, they're different quarterbacks, but I'm a, a Jay Cutler level quarterback. Where you say he might have a few okay years, and, and you might pop in the playoffs a time or two, but his his peak's not going to be all that high. And for much of his career, he might be an average to average quarterback at best. I'd say a thirty percent chance you get Jay Cutler. And there's a 50% chance that you get Derek Anderson, Jamarcus Russell, Brock Osweiler. Guys that look like they have all the tools and have had various various degrees of failure with an occasional dot of success. And look at the difference in those three guys. Derek Anderson had the one big year in Cleveland and has spent a lot of years holding clipboard since. Jamarcus Russell was completely out of the game. Brock Osweiler looked to be the quarterback of the future for Denver. Three years later, has been through three different teams, if you count Denver again as a third team. Headed for third string status near you. So, if you look at that picture and you say, Darnold's the safe bet that at worst you're going to get a Phillip Rivers level quarterback. Or you take Allen and say, 20% he could be Elway, 30% he could be Cutler, 50% he's going to be a bust. Can the Browns afford that after 1 and 31? I don't think so. And there's a lot of people that I respect that love Josh Allen. I'm Scott Dryden's a friend of mine. I've had him on the TRS show. I'd like to have him again before the draft. I'd love to debate him about this. And I respect his opinion more than you know. I just think he's wrong on this. And, and Scott likes Sam Darnold, so it's not like he hates Sam Darnold. I, I He just likes Josh Allen better, and I very much disagree. If the Browns take Josh Allen, I am, I understand it. And I'll be full in support of him. I, I'm not going to rip Josh Allen. I, I hope he does well. When you're, a, for me, at least in, if I'm a fan of a team, it's more important for the team to be right than it is for me to be right. I just got a funny feeling that if the Browns go that way, we're going to be sitting here four years, and Sam Darnold is going to be leading wherever he goes, teams to the playoffs. And we're going to be looking at Josh Allen the way we look at Brock Osweiler. I hope I'm wrong. Because the guy does have tremendous tools. And he seems like a very nice kid. And he seems like he's got his head on his shoulder. So I don't think it's necessarily going to be a problem with Josh Allen as a guy off the field. It's nothing against Josh Allen. I'm just frustrated by... 
before I wrap up, first let me say, there's guys, I've had Dan Parlagreco on the show, I've had Scott Dried on the show, I, I've bought Dan Shanka stuff for years. I'm an information guy. Even if I don't necessarily agree with these guys, they're right a decent amount of the time, and I just like reading stuff. I know some people look at things and say they don't want to be influenced by other people's opinions. I really am not influenced by them, but I like reading them. I like, you know, sometimes you can discover that you were wrong, you know, or, or somebody brings something to your attention that you might have missed. So I like reading these guys. At the same time, I, I start to question myself. And I, I can't imagine, to me, it is not, uh, Darnold is clearly the best quarterback in his draft. But Dan Greco likes Josh Rosen. Scott Dryden likes Josh Allen. Dan Shaka likes Baker Mayfield. Now, I like Dan's work. I think it's really good work. I, I, but Dan has a bias towards a small mobile quarterback. Since I've bought Dan's stuff, he's had he's like, he had Geno Smith, the number one quarterback one year, which in a, in a bad quarterback crop. He had uh, Johnny Manziel over Bridgewater and Derek Carr and Garoppolo. And now he's got Baker Mayfield. Over. So, you know, Dan likes that type of quarterback. That's just, you know, it's just the way it is. He's got a bias towards that type of quarterback. But it starts to make me, it, start, it, it makes me question either am I wrong or what are these guys missing? And in this case, I don't think I'm wrong. So, don't quite... I wouldn't rule out if we're sitting here next year or perhaps even in 2020. Don't rule out the appearance of the common sense guide to the NFL draft. I've, I've kind of bounced this around a little bit. As much as I respect those guys and they know their stuff and I'm not, you know, everybody's got an opinion. Sometimes I think we're a little too over-analytical. Sometimes, as I said, I like reading information, but sometimes you have too much information. And the only thing that, uh, I've said this on several occasions, the only thing we really don't know that the teams know is we don't know what kind of people they are in the locker room. We don't know, are they are they a locker, are they a clubhouse lawyer? Uh, do they really love football? The, the case that I always say is, I really liked Justin Gilbert coming out of Oklahoma State. When the Browns took him, I thought he was the best cornerback in the draft. He had he had everything that you would want. His tape was good. He had size. He had speed. He returned kicks. I thought Justin Gilbert was going to be a really good corner, and I liked the pick. Well, he busted. Why did he bust? Well, he busted because he didn't like football. <laughs> he didn't he didn't like getting up on time. He it was just not something he enjoyed. Well, see, we didn't know that. The Browns should have, but we... That's the one thing I'll give draft observers a pass on. You can only know so much about these guys. And Scott Dryden goes through tons more stuff than I do. You're never going to see me at a pro day. Probably never going to see me in a senior bowl. If I ever did a a draft... That's why I would call it the common sense guy to the NFL draft. Because it would be strictly on... What I see on tape, and I'm not even saying I break down as much tape as Scott, but I, I watch a considerable amount of tape in the off season. 
But it would basically cover what I see on tape, what I've seen from production, size, speed, etc. Common sense guy. And I don't, yeah, nobody, nobody wants it. That's that's uh, their prerogative. But I'm thinking about it mainly because of this Darnold thing. I'm like, what the hell am I missing when I have this guy rated head and shoulders as the best guy in the draft? And it seems like all the experts like somebody else. And it's not necessarily one other guy in particular. I mean, everybody seems to have their own guy. I've even, you know, I've even seen people like Lamar Jackson better than all of them. The Browns should take Sam Darnold. You take the best guy. Take the best guy. You don't, you're 1 in 31. You don't have time for projects. Now, Sam Darnold will sit next year just like Josh Allen will. And I think that's a smart thing. No problems with that. But. If Josh Allen needs all of this time and all of this refinement and all of this time to grow, how much is he going to grow standing on the sidelines? And, and and I'm not against him sitting. I think he should. But if the guy's question is, he has all of these issues coming in, well, how do you cure those issues? It's a catch-22. If you play him... You could get a guy that is not caught up to the game speed. His skills are there, but he's not up to that level. But if you don't play him, how's he not? How's he going to improve? It's you can get yourself very close to catch twenty two, which is why I like Sam Darnold, and, and we'll uh, try to get Scott Dryden on the show, and he and I can argue and have a good time with that, and. If not, we'll probably definitely do an NFL draft show anyway, because I'm going to try to get back to doing this once a week, preferably with a guest, because you you don't know how strange it is to sit here talking into a microphone for 45 minutes. You know, if anybody came walking in the door right now, they think I was nuts. (laughs) So, anyway, until next time, thanks again to Ramon Malpica for providing the uh, stage for the return of the Thoughts of RS podcast. Don't forget to catch my blog at thoughtsofrs.blogspot.com. We were writing about our trip to uh, Lexington, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, and Charleston, West Virginia over this past weekend. So make sure you check us out there. With uh, it's usually sports from different venues and occasionally a little bit about myself. So if, if there's something in particular you'd like me to talk about, let me know. Be happy to do it. Happy to talk. Happy to uh, talk about any topic you really want to talk about. So get in touch with me. You know where you can find me between the blog and Twitter at Thoughts of RS. Even on Facebook, there's a Thoughts, R, a Thoughts of RS group. So until next time. Where preferably there'll be a guest so I don't talk for 45 minutes by myself. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you on the flip side.